You are listening to the Reality Church Ventura podcast, a collection of sermons from our weekly Sunday gatherings. To learn more about reality, visit us online at realityventura.com. the privilege of serving on staff as our kids ministry director. And today's scripture reading is from the gospel of Mark chapter 15, verse 42 through 16, verse eight from the NIV. It was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he had, was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very heavy and large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. This is God's word. Thank you, Anna. Once again, happy Easter. My name's Tim, if I haven't met you yet. For those joining us online, we're so glad that you're able to join us in that way. And you out in the lobby, whether you're exploring Christianity, this is new for you, or you haven't been to church in a long time, or you've been a part of this church forever, let me pray for us all that God would speak to every single one of us as we explore what the resurrection means for us. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you that every person in this room matters to you. Those joining us online, those out in the lobby, matter to you. We thank you that you sent your son Jesus to live, die, and rise for us so that we could be forgiven and free forever. We ask this morning, that every one of us would know that truth and be changed by it today. So speak to us now, we ask, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Well, the great American philosopher, Mike Tyson, once said, (laughs) everyone has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. Wisdom. When I was younger, I had a plan. 
I had some belief systems. I had a way of living, which was essentially a, a smorgasbord of a variety of different beliefs that suited my own promiscuous, substance-abusing lifestyle. But when I was a teenager, my worldview got hit in the mouth. One of my close friends died tragically. And I remember being in a park in a makeshift memorial service that we were doing where we were going around sharing stories about our friend who had died. And each one of them began to speculate about what happens after death and how we would deal with our grief. And I remember honestly thinking to myself on that day, as each person shared, we have no hope. We don't know what we're talking about. My life, the way that I was living, what I was living for, got hit. I say this because we all have our beliefs, we all have our philosophies, the things, oh, I'm a little bit of this, a little bit of that, our way of living, and then suffering hits. Loss hits. Disappointment hits. Injustice hits. Even death. And we ask the question, where is our hope? Or like the words of these women on Easter morning, who will roll the stone away? Well, we just heard the historic account of these women whose worlds were shattered because they, along with many other people 2,000 years ago, had put their hope in this man named Jesus who claimed to be the Son of God, Savior of the world, but he was put to death publicly, and when he went into a grave, their hopes went with him. And yet, in one moment, on Easter morning, everything changed. But not just for them, for the world, for you, and for me. An empty tomb that day sparked a movement that went from just 20-odd thousand followers to 25 million followers in the first few hundred years in the ancient world, all while being illegal in the Roman Empire. Changed lives based on the resurrection of Jesus literally turned the world upside down. But don't take my word for it. Take a scholar's word for it. Yale professor Wayne Meeks once said, never in so short a time has any other religious faith, or for that matter, any other set of ideas, religious, political, or otherwise, without the aid of physical force, achieved so commanding a position in such a short time in such an important society. The world has never been the same. And anyone who has ever put their faith in Jesus would also say, I have never been the same. It was just a few years after that makeshift memorial service that all that I'd heard and been told about Jesus became real to my own heart. And as a young man, I was saved out of my darkness and out of my addiction. And the first funeral that I attended as a Christian was my father's. But everything was different because this time I had hope. This time, I had something to say because Jesus is alive and I have never been the same. But why the change? What does this text tell us? 
I just want to say this morning, friends, regardless of where you're coming from, where you're at, what your background is, I just want to say three things about the resurrection that I want you to consider and to take to heart. And the first thing is this. The resurrection surprises us. The resurrection surprises us. These women on Easter morning, as we just heard, they were not expecting an empty tomb. Yet they ask in verse 3 of the 16th chapter of Mark's gospel, who will roll the stone away? And the author, Mark, no doubt records this detail for us to show us how huge the stone was. They did not come with hope. Hope came to them. For they look up and the stone is removed and there's this angel and the message to them says, come and see. Come and see for yourself. Here's why I point that out. Nobody was expecting an empty tomb. Because if you're a little bit skeptical, maybe even a dash cynical like me, you read something like this for the first time and you think, well, people back then, they were different. They're all superstitious. Like, of course, the women that morning were like, you think he's alive? Like, oh yeah. Like, no, they were expecting nothing. They were expecting nothing. They were in despair. And while it may be true in the ancient world that superstition abounded, even amongst the pagan religions, nobody actually believed, if you do your history, nobody believed in a physical resurrection. When ancient religions talked about resurrection, it was like a spiritual disembodied state that you would go off to in some other world. There was one exception, the Jewish people. They believed in a bodily, physical resurrection. But they didn't believe it would happen until the end of history. So when early Christians preached of resurrection, it wasn't like people were like, oh yeah, because we all believe in resurrection. Nobody was thinking this. Nobody was expecting angels, right? The text we just read said they were alarmed. They weren't like, oh cool, angels. They're like, oh my goodness, or whatever it was that they said. They were alarmed, Though Mark's account is brief, it's one of the most compelling because it provides us a list of witnesses and evidence that removes all other possibilities and answers key questions. Our skeptical minds think, could Jesus have been resuscitated? Where he's like, just a few hours later, like, just kidding. Well, that can't be. The evidence could not be more to the contrary. Jesus was crucified on a Friday. Verse 43 tells us that there are many witnesses to his death. Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent ruler, well-known, prepared the body for burial. The centurions were the legal witness verifying his death. And you have the women who were also there. But what if it was all made up? Well, if it were, nobody would ever have chosen to write in the historic account to put these women as the first witnesses. Why? Because in ancient Greco-Roman culture, their testimony was not accepted as legal evidence in a court of law. You wouldn't put this in there unless it actually happened. Nor would it have been the plot of the disciples. Like, they're all depressed. Like, hey guys, I have an idea. Let's pretend he's alive. Like, That's a great idea. We're told that they were depressed and afraid. And unless Jesus had really appeared, there would have been no way to start an entire movement. In short, no credible evidence 
from that period exists to validate any alternative explanation for what happened on the first Easter. Or as I like to say, the church did not create the resurrection stories. The resurrection stories created the church. That's how it happened. This is just one of other accounts telling us of the hundreds of people who saw Jesus alive. If the tomb were full, it would have put this whole thing to rest. Jesus would have been shown to be a fraud and a failure, and life would go on as normal. But it didn't. And this change happened overnight. Unless something radical had happened, it was pointless for them to change their, their stance something must have happened. Think, for example, of someone you know who's like incredibly political. They know the ins and outs of, of their party. They've been lifelong. They, they know everything about it. And though people might change their minds on such matters over a long period of time, nobody changes their mind in an instant. Imagine that friend or that relative. They're just staunch in their beliefs. One day later, they show up and they're like, I've switched parties. You're like, What? I've taken all the little signs out of my lawn. Like, I've changed everything. You'd be like, what happened to you? Where were you? And, like, what was going on? Like, it doesn't happen unless they had seen something. Unless something had actually happened. The only believable explanation for the sudden shift is that people met a resurrected Jesus. One author, Jonathan Dodson, in a book on the resurrection says this, the death and resurrection of Jesus weren't events that happened in a private corner of the world. They were public events on display for many to see and investigate. There was no reason for the disciples to invent this idea. It went against the grain of Roman politics, Jewish theology, and Greek ideals. The only plausible explanation is that these witnesses were telling and recording the truth of what they had seen, namely, that Jesus of Nazareth was not only crucified and buried, but also raised from the dead. They changed their beliefs because they witnessed the death-defeating Jesus and found his testimony life-altering. Friends, I say this because if you're skeptical, I just want to say to you, you're not the first one. You're not the first skeptic. The same evidence that we need today was the same evidence that they needed back then. You say, okay, but so what? What does it mean? Well, that leads to the second thing I want to say. First, the resurrection surprises us. People weren't expecting it. It was radical. It was supernatural. And mountains of evidence has been given to us. But what does it mean? It means that the resurrection saves us. The resurrection saves us. Why? How do we know? Well, this resurrection evidence is placed within a much larger account of the whole life of Jesus. If Jesus rose again, then everything he said is true. The resurrection underlines it all. The resurrection verifies it. And so we understand his life in the greater picture of all that the Bible says and all that the Bible promised. So what is it that Jesus said about himself? What were some of the claims that he made? What were some of the titles that he had? I'm so glad you asked because I have a list. He said many things about himself. Let me just mention 35. <laughs> Buckle up. 
Jesus is and claimed to be the Almighty One, the Messiah, the beginning and the end, the authority over the world, the author of faith, the bread of life, the chief cornerstone, the true temple. He claimed to be the fulfillment of Scripture, the giver of living water, the faithful witness, the good shepherd, the great high priest, the true vine, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords, light of the world, lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the mediator, the mighty one, the prince of peace, the wonderful counselor, the rescuer, the deliverer, the prophet, the redeemer, the way, the truth, the life, the resurrection, the savior of the world, and God himself, just to name a few. That's who Jesus claimed that he is. And if he's risen, then all that he says is true. And so the call for faith is not simply to intellectually affirm that it happened. Some of you might be thinking, okay, historical records, verify it, prove it, like I get it. But faith means that you trust in it. Faith means that you lean on it. The call for faith is for you to rest your life upon Jesus. And here's why this matters because we all share this problem called sin. Sin is not only a Bible word used to describe all the, the bad things that we do, but it's even greater than that. Sin is to ultimately trust in something other than or more than the God who created us. We've separated ourselves from him, and a as a result, our relationship with him is in the grave. Separation and death is the ultimate consequence. And if it's not remedied, it is only a matter of time before that consequence becomes permanent and eternal. The God who made us is a righteous judge. And like any wrongdoing in society, there's a debt that has to be paid. See, if you destroyed all of my possessions, you destroyed the house, car, like everything, which... I don't know why you would, don't do that, that'd be weird, but let, let's imagine for a moment that happened, and I go up to you, and in a moment of grace, I say, I forgive you. Well, what's gonna happen to my house? Well, I have one of two choices. If I really mean what I say when I forgive you, it means someone has to pay. A debt is owed. I can either make you pay it, or... I can choose to pay it. I can absorb the debt. The problem of sin is a problem of debt. We've sinned against God. We've sinned against others. We have a debt to be paid. But God, in his infinite love for us, sent his son Jesus into the world to pay the debt on our behalf. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, I'm not gonna make you pay, I'm gonna absorb the debt. I am gonna pay for your sin. Even though Jesus was sinless, he said, I'm gonna stand in your place. I'm gonna absorb the debt on your behalf. And the resurrection matters because it means that the payment was accepted. See, Mary and the others knew on that morning that Jesus came on a rescue mission to save the world from sin. 
But after Jesus died, their hopes were dashed. If Jesus remained dead, how could we ever know that our sin was paid for? How could we ever know that all that he said was true? How could we ever know that we were forgiven and promised eternal life? If Jesus did not rise from the dead, none of this matters and we should all go home. The empty cross is not good news without an empty tomb. Early that first Easter morning, everyone thought that the check that Jesus wrote bounced. But Jesus is alive. That check was cashed. His perfect life and his sacrificial death paid the price for every one of my sins and every one of your sins. This is an incredible act of God. Our sin was so bad that he had to die, but his love was so great that he was glad to die. And all that we must do is simply receive Simply receive this gift. It's how Paul the Apostle says in the book of Romans, chapter 6, for all have sinned, that includes me and you, and we all fall short of the glory of God and are justified, that is, we are made right by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That is good news. And that's what the word gospel means. The word gospel does not mean good advice. The word gospel means good news. And there's a world of difference. See, some of you might have come to church this morning expecting good advice. You're like, dang it, I haven't been to church in a while. They're just gonna go and they're gonna tell me I suck and they're gonna tell me I gotta like do all these things. And see, that would be good advice. Like, hey, you need to kind of get your act cleaned up together. Like, notice what the angel didn't say that morning. Like, Mary, hey, there's seven things you need to do if you want to know that you're forgiven. And Mary's like, oh, can you grab a scroll? Like, need to write, write it down. Got to like, see, so many people think that of Christianity, it's all this list of things that I, that I have to do. That's good advice. But friends, good advice is about what you must do. Good news is about what's already been done. That's the difference. Good advice is the message of religiosity. Here's what you need to do to be saved. Here's the ladder that you need to climb. Here's the gold stars that you have to earn before God as if you're gonna say, hey God, I showed up on Easter 2023. It's been hard. And he's like, hmm, well, well, well. Look who came to church. One gold star for you. Let's see how the rest of this year goes. Maybe it'll pan out between us. No, that's good advice. The message of Christianity is not good advice. The message of Christianity is good news. The angel said, Jesus is risen. He's alive and he's offered his forgiveness as a free gift of grace, regardless of who you are or what you've done. You simply must receive. The resurrection saves us. See, that's why Christians are all happy clappy. Like, you're like, man, these people are weird. And in some cases that might be true and I'll include myself in that category. I'm a little weird as my family will testify. Did someone say amen? Because that's hurtful. <laughs> Every, why is everyone singing and shouting? We're not singing because of anything that we've done. We're singing about what Jesus Christ has done. We're celebrating in the victory of another. Right? A, a silly example of this is any one of you who has sporting loyalties. If you have a team that you love, oh, if any of you know me, I fell in love with English football, also known by Colonials as soccer. There's a team that I love. As my wife says, you gave your heart away. And they have made me suffer for many years. 
but oh, when we were living in London, England, that we were for, for five years, I lived down the street from the stadium and there was this one epic game where I went full of doubt and full of despair. It's like, what are they gonna do to me again? And we went into the stadium and surprisingly, shockingly, they won. So how did we respond? I was shouting, I was screaming, there's video. I was hugging strangers. I was like, ah, I don't know you, I'm gonna hug you, ah. Why? Because of the victory of another. Nobody goes to a stadium when their team wins and says, I did it. <laughs> Nobody does that. You celebrate because of the victory of another. Friends, that is why we sing. It's not whether we came to church full of faith or like, man, I'm feeling pretty confident on Easter. Do you think Jesus is risen? As if Jesus was only risen to the degree that Mary expected him to be risen. Jesus is alive and the tomb is empty regardless of how you feel about it. The call is to believe and rejoice. The resurrection saves us. But the gospel accounts don't just end there. They don't just end with the resurrection. They end with a mission. The followers of Jesus weren't just to stay there and make a shrine. There was a job to do. The resurrection sends us. The resurrection sends us out with a new purpose. The angel first says, come and see. And then, go and tell. Go and tell. Which makes it very clear that this message was never meant to remain private. Jesus does not call for a memorial, he calls for a mission. Oftentimes when we speak about faith, we say, well that, that's your thing, that's like a private matter. But what if, imagine for a moment, if you were given the cure for cancer, you're like, hey guys, I have the, and everyone's like, hey, that, that's your thing. Just settle down. You're like, but I, I think many people would, I think I just, hey, just keep it to yourself. No, if you have news, good news for all people to meet their deepest need, then we cannot keep it to ourselves. We must go and tell. And the encouragement here from the angels is he has gone before you. The risen Jesus has gone before you. The same message that saves us is the same message that sends us out into the world. You cannot keep it to yourself. If you're a believer, a follower of Jesus, remember, you cannot keep it to yourself. But nor does it make you arrogant or self-righteous when you share it. See, that's a common criticism of Christians, right? All these Christians are these like, arrogant, self-righteous people, and sadly, that may or may not have been your experience, but nothing about the gospel should make you self-righteous or arrogant because you are not saved by what you can do. You're saved in spite of what you've done because of what Jesus did. That's how it works. So we can't keep this message to ourselves, nor can we go and tell in a way that's arrogant or self-righteous because it's not about us. It's about what Jesus has done for us. So we go from this place of, of mission. One of the reasons that Christianity grew and grew and grew is people lived changed lives. Why? Why would people love strangers and love enemies and care for the poor and the marginalized and give generously, serve sacrificially, and die confidently? Because the resurrection of Jesus has given them a mission. Jesus not only changed minds, he changed hearts. And I just wanna give you three ways in which Jesus sends you if you trust him. 
The first is that Jesus sends you out with new freedom. If your trust is in Jesus, if you decide even today to trust in Jesus, he sends you with new freedom. Freedom from guilt, freedom from shame. Hours before Jesus was crucified on the cross, his closest friends betrayed him and abandoned him. I'm sure many of us have experienced betrayal and abandonment to one degree or another. It hurts so deeply. How many times have we said to to a loved one, like, where were you? You weren't there for me. And maybe we even carry those wounds and that bitterness in our heart to this day. Maybe you've been the one who's abandoned another or betrayed another. And you carry that shame and that guilt. Well, imagine Jesus. He's telling his closest followers. Even this guy named Peter, which, oh, if you read, just for fun, even if you've never read the Bibles before, read the Bibles, learn about Jesus. You'll also learn about a man named Peter. He's always putting his foot in his mouth. He's my guy. He is my guy. Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm gonna go die. And Peter's like, never! He's so drama. He's like, we will die with you. And then hours later, after Jesus is arrested, people come up to Peter and like, were you with Jesus? He's like, "Uh, sorry, can you say that again? Jesus, I, I, I don't know him. I don't know the guy. In Christ's hour of need, his closest followers and friends, they all abandoned him. They betrayed him. So how do you think Jesus would meet them? How do you think Jesus would meet those people who had abandoned him and betrayed him? Now, if I were Jesus, which is not a thought experiment I engage in often, but if I were Jesus, I would just roll up in that room and I'd be like, well, well, well. If it isn't my disciples, where were you? Where were you? Where's Peter? <laughs> oh, I, you know what I'd say? I'd, I'd, I'd send a note in advance, like an ancient text. I'd be like, I'm coming and I'd better see tears. Right? We like, oh, we, they betrayed us. They abandoned us. This, this hurts. There's wounds. They, they failed. And yet, what does Jesus say? What does the Easter account say? The angels were commissioned by Jesus to tell Mary and the other women, go and tell the followers, the disciples, that Jesus is alive and Peter. Go tell them this good news. Jesus treats them as if the relationship were never interrupted. Because our relationship with God is by grace. There are some of you who maybe were born and raised around the church, maybe you went for a while and it's been a long time since you've been back. Some of you may know that you've walked away from him. Maybe you carry that. Even coming to a church building, you're like, great. Is there gonna be a lightning bolt like hitting me? And you're like, oh, now I'm out in the lobby. Like, what a bummer, you know, or whatever it is. And you're wondering, like, can I return? Can I come back? Because I've walked away. Could be months, could be years. 
how is Jesus going to treat me? And the answer, my friend, is with open arms. He says, come. I will treat you as if the relationship were never interrupted in the first place. Because I've already died, Jesus would say, for all your sin. And I rose again so that you would be adopted and accepted forever. He will treat you as if the relationship were never interrupted. Why? Because it's all based on grace. When Jesus went to the cross, he secured forgiveness for them, for you, and for me. Forgiveness is not offered on the basis of what we've done, but in spite of what we have done. So who gets into the kingdom of God? Anyone who receives the invitation. Anyone who receives the invitation, because it's all based on grace. See, Easter is not about how good you are. Easter is about how loved you are. And there is a world of difference. You can be honest about your past. You can be honest about your, your sin. Confess freely and you will be forgiven. Jesus sends us with that new freedom. He sends us out then with a new purpose. He says, go, I've gone ahead of you. Go and share this message. You are gifted and called to go and to love and to serve all the people around you with resurrection purpose and resurrection power as resurrection people. You have a mission. It's not just to earn money and retire and die comfortably. It is you have a message to tell because the tomb is empty and you get to watch lives transform. That is the purpose that the resurrection gives. But with that, Jesus sends you with a new hope. See, the woman's question was, who will roll the stone away? And isn't that the question that just captures how many of us feel? It could be about death, pain, abandonment, betrayal, your own guilt, your own shame, and it can just feel as if there's this giant stone closing it in, nothing you can do about it, sealed. And we ask, man, when I look at my life, like who can roll the stone away? When I look at this relationship, who can roll the stone away? When I look at my own failing and unfaithfulness, who can roll the stone away? Well, friends, the question is answered in Easter. Because the claim of Easter is that nothing else can deal with our greatest problem or offer a greater hope than the risen Jesus Christ. And the resurrection not only means that all the sad things become untrue, but that the best is yet to come. Spiritual hope, relational hope, and yes, even physical hope. And this was brought home to my heart by a woman that some of you know her name is Johnny Erickson Tata, who in the late 60s was a talented teenage athlete. But tragically, she had a diving accident that left her quadriplegic, dramatically changing her life. And yet, her hope in Jesus has changed her life even more. She's gone on to start organizations, write dozens of books and speaks everywhere. And when she talks about this hope as a woman in her place, this is what she says. I can scarcely believe it. 
eye with shriveled, bent fingers, atrophied muscles, gnarled knees, and no feeling from the shoulders down, will one day have a new body, light, bright, and clothed in righteousness, powerful and dazzling. Can you imagine the hope this gives someone spinal cord injured like me? Or someone cerebral palsied, brain injured, or who has multiple sclerosis? No other religion, no other philosophy promises new bodies, new hearts, and new minds. Only in the gospel of Christ do hurting people find such incredible hope. The resurrection of Jesus alone meets the deepest hopes and addresses the greatest fears of every single person. Friends, because Jesus beat death, even the worst things that happen will not have the last word. Disease will not have the last word. Depression will not have the last word. Betrayal will not have the last word. Disappointment will not have the last word. Abandonment will not have the last word. Anxiety will not have the last word. Fear will not have the last word. Pain will not have the last word. Death will not have the last word. Jesus will have the last word because he is alive. The hope of Easter, amen. The hope of Easter does not deny the harsh realities of life. The hope of Easter says they will not have the last word. So for us, will we remain in fear or will we choose to trust and follow Jesus? We know for these women that they did not remain in fear. Their fear gave way to trust. Their despair gave way to hope and their sorrow gave way to joy because Jesus makes all things new. And he can do that for you. Will you trust him? He will make all things new. You're like, can he really do that? In what ways? See, in conquering sin and death, Jesus removes your sin, your shame, your guilt, your emptiness, your brokenness, and in their place, he makes everything new. He gives you a new start. He gives you a new heart, a new identity, a new mind, new strength, a new foundation, a new mission, a new motivation, a new affection, a new purpose, a new eternity, a new family, a new inheritance, a new power, a new joy, a new freedom, a new purpose, a new courage, a new love, and a new future. So for those of you who have already put your faith in Jesus Christ, have your hope renewed today. Easter is a day of celebration and remembering the glory of salvation, being renewed in your own mission. And for those of you who have drifted away, whether it's been months or years, Jesus calls you by name. He says, come back to me. The door is open. There's no fear of judgment. Jesus paid for it all. Turn to him. Return to him today. What a day to do it on Easter Sunday. If you've drifted, if you're like the prodigal son, the prodigal daughter, return to him today. And if you have never put your trust in Jesus, 
Do you want to know that you can be saved? Do you want to know that your sin is forgiven? Do you want to know that you can be made new? How can you do that? The answer is simple. Trust in Jesus. For the word of God says in Romans 10, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't say might be saved. It doesn't say eventually saved or partially saved. You will be saved. And I'm giving you that opportunity right now. So let us all bow our heads in an attitude of prayer. And before I pray, I just want to say specifically to those who have never trusted in Jesus, you have an opportunity to do that even now. If you want to know that you are forgiven of your sin, you don't have to carry that guilt and that pain and that shame. If you want to know that you have new life, then I'm calling you to trust in Jesus. Whether you're online or in the lobby or in this room, from the quietness of your heart, I'm just gonna say these words and I'm asking you to say them to God. Say them to God from the quietness of your heart. God, I confess I am a sinner. I believe you sent Jesus to live, die, and rise for me. Forgive me of all my sins. Give me new life. I trust in you as Lord and Savior today. And Heavenly Father, I pray for those who believed in their hearts and prayed that even now. I pray that they would sense your love overwhelming their heart that they would know right now they are forgiven in a moment because it's not about what they can do, it's about what you have done. I pray that they would know that new life right now and that you would even grant them the courage to respond today publicly. I pray for those who have drifted away from you or fallen away. I pray that you would draw them back to yourself and that they wouldn't allow the opinions of other people or the fear of man or their own ego or pride keep them from turning back to you today. And Father, for us as a church, I pray that we would celebrate and truly rejoice that the tomb is empty and there is news to tell. We pray these things together in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.